Chapter Two of The Innocents: A Story for Lovers by Sinclair Lewis. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Don W. Jenkins. They took the steamer for Massachusetts at five o'clock. When the band started to play, when Mother feared that a ferry was going to collide with them, when beautiful youths in boating hats popped out of staterooms like chorus men in a musical comedy, when children banged small sandpails, when the steamer rounded the dream castles of lower New York, when it seemed inconceivable that the flagstaff could get under Brooklyn Bridge, which didn't clear it by much more than a hundred feet, when a totally new New York of factories and docks, of steamers bound for Salon and yachts bound for Newport, was revealed to these old New Yorkers, when Mother mingled a terrific apprehension regarding ships and water with a palpitating excitement over sailing into the freedom which these two gray-haired children had longed for all their lives and had found during two weeks of each year. Father was perfectly tremendous. He apprehensive? why he might have been the original man to go down to the sea in ships mother wailed that all the deck chairs had been taken father found mountains of chairs and flipped a couple of them open as though he were a steward with service stripes he was simply immense in his manner of thrusting mother and himself and his chairs and a mound of shawls and coats into the midst of the crowd gathered at the bow he noted mother's nervousness and observed casually mighty safe these boats like ferries safer in trains yes they're safer in staying home in bed what with burglars and fires and everything oh do you really think they are safe breathed mother comforted admirable though father was he couldn't sit still he was wearing a decorative new travelling cap very smart and extensive and expensive shaped like a muffin and patterned with the douglas tartan and an etruscan border he rather wanted to let people see it he was no pilkings clerk now but a world galloper with his cap clapped down on one side and his youthful cigarette holder cocked up on the other and in his buttonhole a carnation jaunty as a red pompon with the breeze puffing out the light silver hair about his temples and his pink cheeks glowing in the westering sun he promenaded round and round the hurricane deck and stopped to pat a whimpering child but always he hastened back lest mother get frightened or lonely once he imagined that two toughs were annoying her and he glared at them like a sparrow robbed of a crumb as he escorted her into the dining saloon father's back was straight his chin very high he was so prosperous of aspect so generous and proudly affectionate that people turned to look it was obvious that if he had anything to do with the shoe business he must be a manufacturer in a large way with profit-sharing and model cottages the sun went down long island sound was shot with red gold as little waves reached up hands at the wonder of light father and mother gazed and ate chocolate ice cream and large quantities of cake with the naive relish of people who usually dine at home they sat on deck till mother yawned and nodded and at last said the well which always means let's go to bed father had so inspired her with faith in the comparative safety of their wild voyaging that she was no longer afraid but just sleepy 
She nestled in her chair and smiled shamefacedly and said, "'It's only half-past nine, but somehow—' In her drowsiness the wrinkles smoothed away from round her eyes and left her face like that of a plump, tired, happy little girl. When they were at home, father's and mother's garments had a way of getting so familiarly mixed that even mother could scarcely keep their bureau drawers separate. But when they travelled they were aristocrats, and they had entirely separate suitcases and berths. From the pompous manner in which father unpacked his bag you would have been utterly beguiled, and have supposed him to be one of those high persons who have whole suites to themselves and see their consorts only at state banquets, when there are celery and olives and the squire invited to dinner. There was nothing these partners in life more enjoyed than the one night's pretense that they were aloof. But they suddenly forgot their roles. They squealed with pleasure and patted each other's shoulders fondly, for simultaneously they had discovered the surprises in mother's suitcase inside her second-best boots. Father had hidden four slender, beribboned boxes of the very best chocolate peppermints, while in father's seemly nightgown was a magnificent new mouth-organ. Father was an artist on the mouth-organ. He could set your heart prancing with the strains of Dandy Dick and the Candlestick. But his old mouth-organ had grown wheezy. Now he sat down and played softly, till their tiny inside stateroom was filled with a tumbling chorus of happy notes. When mother was asleep in the lower berth, and father was believed to be asleep in the upper, he slipped on his coat and trousers, and kitten-footed out of the stateroom to a dark corner of the deck. For very secretly father was afraid of the water. He who had insouciantly reassured mother had himself to choke down the timorous speculations of a shop-bound clerk. While the sun was fair on the water, and there were obviously no leviathans, nor anything like that bearing down upon them, he was able to conceal his fear, even from himself. But now that he didn't have to cheer mother, now that the boat rolled forward through a black nothingness, he knew that he was afraid. He sat huddled and remembered all the tales he had heard of fire and collision and reefs. He vainly assured himself that every stateroom was provided with an automatic sprinkler. He made encouraging calculations as to the infrequency of collisions on the sound, and scoffed at himself. Why, the most shipping there could be at night would be a couple of schooners, maybe a torpedo boat. But dread of the unknown was on him. Father went through his spasm of solitary fear each first night of vacation. It wasn't genuine fear, it was the growing pain of freedom. The cricket who chirped so gaily when he was with mother was also a weary man, a prisoner of daily routine. He had become free for freedom. Laughingly, then bitterly, he rebuked himself for fear, and presently he was bespelled by the wonder of the unknown. Beyond the water through which they slid, black and smooth as polished basalt, he saw a lighthouse winking. From his steamer timetable he learned that it must be Great Gull Island Light. Great Gull Island! It suggested to him thunderous cliffs with surf flung up on beetling rocks, screaming gulls, and a smuggler on guard with menacing rifle. He lost his fear of fear. He ceased to think about his accustomed life of two aisles and the showcase of new models, and the background of boxes and boxes and boxes of shoes, tokens of the drudgery that was ground into him like grit. The father who worried was changing into the adventurous wanderer that henceforward he would be for two weeks. He stretched out his short arms and breathed deeply of the night wind. Half an hour later he was asleep. 
but not, it must be confessed, in the aristocratic seclusion of his own birth. He was downily curled beside mother, his cheek nuzzled beside her delicate old hand. End of chapter 2 Read by Don W. Jenkins Rancho San Diego, California shaggybark.blogspot.com